0: Insider Podcast, where we get to know the best CEOs, investors, and entrepreneurs in the mining industry. I'm your host, Jamie Keach. Jeff, welcome to the Resource Insider Podcast. You are, I think, the third person uh, to actually make it into this studio and not just have a Zoom call. So I'm excited to have you here.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Jamie. I much appreciate it, and uh, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm in the presence of greatness here. So, uh,
0: uh, you know, I actually think that's a conservative estimate. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. So, we have had a lot of mining CEOs on on this podcast. We've had a lot of mining investors on this podcast, but we've had a relatively few number of contractors and builders and people who actually get on the ground and. For lack of a better term, really get shit done in the mining industry. So, before we get into your background, can you give us the one paragraph overview of what JDS is and what you guys do day to day?
1: Yeah. So, so first off, um, yeah, I'm the founder and kind of the only guy. The J and the D and the S is me. Are you, Jeff David Stibbard? So. I
0: misprepared you, for this. I'm yeah, sorry. no, that's
1: fine. And uh, so did I when I selected the name of the company because <laughs> actually uh, they give you three choices when you register your company. And back in 2004, I was going to be called like Canadian Energy and Mining Company, mm-hmm. and I had another choice. And my third choice was JDS because I was like running out of good ideas. And oh, it's when you we'll, put in the naming request. Yeah and, yeah, and they yeah. give you a third choice. And so make sure when you do things, when they give you three choices, three quality choices. Otherwise, you'll end up with uh, the last one. So. Anyway, that's uh, how the company got named and it really got started as a bit of a hobby uh, after I uh, moved out of Fort McMurray and finished off building uh, one of Canada's uh, last big oil sands project for Shell, of mm-hmm. which I was a, a shareholder and uh, founder of the, the the junior partner company that built that out. So I moved in uh, 2004 to Kelowna and created a company um, to design, build and um, and really run uh, uh operations for for folks in the mining business uh, with a bunch of uh, previous colleagues that I'd worked with throughout my career in the mining business and uh, and it really just just took right off back there in 2004 and and it's uh, it's been a phenomenal experience and so
0: you started as you know design build sort of contractor but yeah. You know, i'm looking at a list here put together of the different i guess divisions of your right. business now i think there's nine here right there's right. R- railroads there's an investment company there's engineering construction underground equipment what i mean what is the full suite of services that you guys offer today
1: um well that it, it's not defined we haven't finished and uh quite frankly it, it's the food chain of the resource development so when you look at our, our bio it's really we want to be partners and maximizing resource development uh value for our customers and really when you start to look at it you get all the way into the food chain and you realize it's more than just putting the plan together now you got to find the people the material uh the equipment the processes so you get deeper and deeper into the food chain and you realize hey wait a minute i can fix that i can make that go faster cheaper more reliable better better for our customers Mm -hmm. and uh so you just kind of get into these things naturally and as you work through the food chain whether it's um Producing copper concentrate, you realize that you got to truck it, or you got to barge it, or you got to put it on a train. And so then you look at the train business and you go, "Hey, hang on a second here. There's some things there that aren't aren't quite running efficiently. I should look at that. Maybe I should provide a service to help jack that up a bit and, and make things move faster." Mm. Building the Yukon uh, the copper mine for for Capstone or before that Sherwood Copper, uh, you needed a barge to go down the Yukon River, and the place yep. hadn't had a barge on it in about 20 years. And so next thing you know, I had to build a barge and. And I'm in the barging business and I still own them today. Probably not the best business decision as an individual activity for running barges on the Yukon. As you can appreciate, it's kind of a seasonal business, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's the drawbridge to being successful for the mine or not when they're producing copper concentration concentrate that needs to get off the mine site, they need you. And guess what? That's uh, pretty good economics when you're a critical link in people's uh, product to market. So you quickly learn these aspects as you get deeper into the business and, and the rail business is an extension of that. We get into the rail servicing and all of a sudden now we're on the track, we understand it. We go, wow, we should own some rail equipment. Wow, we better own a rail yard. We better have a place to park those rail cars and yeah. look at all the economics. So those things just keep naturally falling out as you get deeper and deeper into business. And that's the country. The country is like that. It's just, there's phenomenal opportunities once you travel around as a mining engineer, which I am like yourself mm-hmm. that, you know, as you know, we're we're trained as engineers, but I think we're at the bottom of the barrel the engineering business. We we, <laughs> we know a little bit about everything, but, uh, you know, not not a lot about anything specific. Yeah. So that's a great aspect of running a business. You, you need to be able to, to look at everything from all sides.
0: So, okay. I don't know if this is going to be interesting for everyone at home, but it's super <laughs> interesting to me. So it's my podcast that I'm going to hey, talk about. Yeah, it. yeah. But you've touched on something that I've been thinking about for like five years now is that so many... Um, companies or investment funds or some sort of allocator of capital will buy, call it a mine, right? But they're not focused on the supplementary infrastructure or businesses that service it. And I, I've always thought railways and transportations, it makes so much sense for, I think of these big private equity firms that are, are buying mines and and i'm sure you know this as well as i do so many so few private equity firms in the mining business make money consistently uh, they're great during a bull market they're hit particularly hard during a bear market and i've always wondered you know does it make sense to be to be buying up barges to be buying up railways to be buying up service con- contractors and then it's the sum of the parts equal far more than any of the individuals which i think you kind of touch on with the, the barge business for example owning it as an independent company might not have been the best decision but as part of the JDS ecosystem, it adds a lot of value.
1: That, that's exactly right, and I think they use the word now uh, MBAs would say synergy or something there like you that. Go. you go, know, synergy. But, yes. Yeah.
0: But like, when did you come up with this? Like, when did you start to see the the I guess the greater than the sum of the parts mentality here? Where did you was it kind of organic? Like, you added one thing, and you're like, oh, you know, that turned out pretty well. Or was it like a bigger strategy where you're like, I gotta own this whole. Ecosystem of services and products. Yeah, I think
1: the latter. Um, you know, I'm I'm on to continue to grow this business. This isn't just like a, a, a job for me. This is a lifestyle. This is a, a legacy that wants to go three, four, five generations or more, as long as people are mining and mm-hmm. purchasing the products from it. So. So in order to do that, you got to be in it to win it in all facets and everything that kind of goes into it, you look at and you decide whether you can improve it because it is the bottom line. When you look at a mining business, as mining engineers, we focus on, you know, lowest cost of of producing the product, either tons mined or ounces produced. We use those metrics and then we pass our product off and all of a sudden the costs go up, like transportation costs get layered on there, Mm -hmm. shipping costs with the boats get loaded on there, concentrate treatment. Next thing you know, your copper project that you thought you made positive cash flow at site went to like zero because there's a whole bunch of people in the food chain that are chunking those things out, and right. either because you negotiated a bad contract or the market forces that were at place. And you didn't have control of the food chain. And one of the things I learned early in my career, and, and even later, right up into oil sands, and one of the things about the oil sands business is they have a, a statement you don't let people in your food chain. You have to see that your product you produce gets right to the pump. So not only do you dig oil sands and boil it, add hot water and stir and, you, and you put it in a pipeline and you own the pipeline, and you get it to your upgrader and you upgrade it and then you get it to your refinery and you refine it, you market it. And that's where you get the whole uplift all the way through. So those parts of the business were stuck with my mind. The same with the diamond yeah. business, building the diamond business, same way. You're not just mining the diamonds and just going, hey, throw them out there. When we built the BHP Akati diamond mine, we sold a little bit to De Beers and then we created our own marketing. And we realized, hey, we're getting four, five, six percent more value by mm. taking control. And we had those good heydays of the early days of the diamond business that, that allowed us to, to to dominate. So those are the things that you learn when you run in the mine. And because my experience is from early stage of, of actually working in the mine, yeah. So you learn quickly like what are the inputs, labor, equipment, materials, you know, where, where they where they sit in the in the economics and what you can push on and what the reaction is if you push too hard. On people and, and, and things start to fall apart, you realize the value of each one of those things. And so you, 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 you bring that through and then you go from operating to, to, um, to maintaining to closing, you, you quickly assess um, how these all affect the big bottom line. And if you're going to be in business for the long term and not just like flip something and move on and say real estate or something like that, if you're actually going to live in the environment that you're working in, You got to have that longer term uh, perspective. And that's what we provide to newcomers to the business. A lot of people have got great projects, explorers, geologists, they come up and they go, wow, I found this new discovery, but they don't have the long-term vision yet because they haven't experienced it. And that's really what our business is. Our business is to give people that leading approach to to getting them to where they need to go.
0: Would you say this mentality of owning the whole chain um, is more common in the energy space than in the mining space?
1: Um, you know, I, I'd, i probably say in mining, it used to be. So again, I worked yeah. for people like Naranda. I've lived in five company towns and 13 towns across the country, but I've lived in company towns where the mine actually designed the mine, owned the mine, built that company town, built the transportation network like Grand Isle BC, barged to work every day. They ran the, the boat and. And then they owned the uh, the uh, concentrate right down to the train and then put it into their smelter so they had the full stripe back yeah. in the day and then they started to get out of the business of building company towns Port Hardy BC the Utah construction company that became BHP company town and they got out of that business and it's unfortunate because company towns are fantastic places to live and 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 bring up but they got out of it got into the camp thing because of socioeconomic sort of yeah. things played in there with what happens with the town when the mine goes away And I think it's actually an opportunity that's coming back and it's something that we need to focus on because we lose sight. All of a sudden the, the workers that all were from somewhere and they, they rallied around to keep that business going, Mm -hmm. they can go anywhere and they don't care anymore. So you lose the, the energy, the focus, the camaraderie, the community that, that everybody needs to pull together to make the thing work. So I'm a big believer on, on yeah, things need to be more consistent like the energy business was so you want to make money you better know it all you better be right there to the end day and uh, get full value
0: well and then that compares to say an apple right which has full control from every chip in their computer all the way up to selling it at their
1: own stores right yeah good good point and of of course i'm valuable
0: businesses in the world right
1: it well you know i i I would say i don't own an apple i'm a blackberry guy (laughs) so that's my technology (laughs) lesson for today i love blackberry because it only does three things the phone rings i answer it it texts me i answer it And I get an email answer. I don't have any apps. I don't know how to get a Uber or a date on my phone. It's a tool for business. And it doesn't come out with a version twenty twenty two or whatever. It's not a distraction to me.
0: You know, I'm reminded of one of the professors I had at university who worked in Palabora. uh, And he was saying when a light bulb went into their house, they'd call someone at the mine and they'd come and change the light bulb. Do you think there's going to be a shift within the industry towards, uh, uh, I guess, a more holistic supply chain and having these
1: well yeah i, th- I think there already is and, and again people talk about it like they know something so you know we'll we, we we hear from analysts and they you know they they know everything about the mine and economics and yet they've never been to one or they've never understood the inputs and drivers mm-hmm. so in a way the world is already sort of saying hey we know all about your business and we don't like it and we want you to change we don't like oil sands we don't like energy we don't like this we don't like that uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but they don't have a full appreciation of the full food chain. So everybody wants to obviously electrify and do something good for the environment, reduce GHGs. But you know, I'll shock you with a bit of information, you know, that we could get rid of every car on the planet, but 15 of the world's largest ships that transport Costco products or or Walmart products from China to here, just 15 of those ships make more pollution than all of the light vehicles on the planet. So you want to electrify. Car if you planet. went and made every car electric, 15 of the world's ships would wipe that gain out all day. And they're doing that right now. And and so where would you want to put your energy? So those people, yeah, let's focus on batteries. Look, I'm good with improving things. But let's look at the macro nut first. But also let's not point fingers on say, hey, we're so good. Because if you look where your power just came from for your battery or where your battery came from, you might not like what you look looking at. You might look at, oh geez, that cobalt actually didn't come from the mine in Sudbury it it actually came from the DRC and and that's not really in line with our corporate ethics Mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't manage their environment like we do. Uh, They don't treat their people the way we do. It's unsafe. So those are the things that we now have to be, everybody's fully aware of, of looking into people's businesses and wanting to do the right thing. They just need to understand it all the way through. It just doesn't start with the battery car being, okay, now I'm good. You got to go all the way through the food chain in reverse now to understand if it's really good for the environment.
0: So I guess, where does that start? Does it start in the primary industries, in where the materials come from, where the energy comes from, etc.? You got to start there. Where
1: does it start? It starts at home. It starts with parents actually being parents and telling their kids, wait a minute, hang on. Don't don't just download something and tell me what you... He heard, (laughs) don't come home from school from a 22 year old recent graduate uh, teacher telling you about their newfound knowledge. Let's look into these things. Let's look further. Let's get into like what built this country and understand that actually the intents of what we did at the beginning and the intentions today is always to do better, to learn from our mistakes, but to fully understand them. So let's embrace what we do here. Recognize that Canada, Canada and even British Columbia is one of the most progressive places on the planet for production of raw materials. So, yes, you've got to look at the raw source mm-hmm. and what goes into it, the energy used for it, how the First Nations were treated, uh, how the safety is impacting in, in, in relative to other places of the world. Those are the things that we need to do. We need yeah. to educate. So it starts at home, goes to school, and then it goes to work. And you have to go to the, 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 the job of digging in. So things like these activist investors, which I think are are, are are great you know there's people in there trying to f- make things better and not like activist and sort of squeak the last little squeak out of the pig and you know get you know, the last dollar out of there but yeah. but people that are actually trying to move businesses in a more progressive way with respect to being reliable financially reliable reliable in terms of of you could use the word sustainability I and mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration because nothing's totally sustainable but it's 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 a better use of resources. These people are now digging in, which is fantastic because that really validates my business. It validates the fact that that's what we do. We kind of go forward and look downstream. We want cheaper energy inputs. We want cheaper uh, labor inputs, and that's not necessarily because we want to pay people less. We want people to be more productive. We want people to be more safe, therefore more reliable. Those are the things that we want to encourage in our business. So I think that's this. This is this is what's going on right now, and I think it's fabulous. So there is going to be a shift yeah. to, to that.
0: Do you think though, um, you know, sustainable and impact investing is very um, in vogue at the moment, but do you, do you find that there's a bit of a veneer, a very shallow veneer on there that people, you know, they want solar panels and wind turbines, but they don't want copper mines and, and it, nickel mines.
1: exactly there's a huge you know, again that's the the sort of the the gap that the the internet expert uh, gap yeah. from what's really required and you look at the input so that's our job to to say hold it and that's one of the reasons why I'm interested in coming here to talk to you today because yeah. we want to get the message out we invest a lot of time and money into engineering a mine and permitting a mine and we then we all of a sudden we put it out to the public and we get public comments and the comments aren't very deep they they come from the the group think that's been spread around and we all we want to do is say to people, hey, come with us. Let us show you what we're doing and where we've come. And by the way, let's compare it to somewhere else where this product is produced or where you 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 know, again, you can't live a day without copper. Nobody in our country can live one day without copper. And so we need to show them where that's coming from and how we're getting it for them to support their life.
0: So an interesting question might be, you've been at this for thirty-nine years now. How have you seen things progress in the way, let's say mining projects get built and operated in Canada and British Columbia in particular over the course of that career? Is it, is it very different today than it was when you started at 18 or, or yeah, is so it very I, similar? Yeah,
1: yeah very, very good question and just to answer your other one. So we talked about being in vogue, you're absolutely right. It's in vogue and we can, we can help support that in a, in, a, in a tangible way. But if you look at my history, growing up here in Vancouver, um, the Britannia Mine, which I'm sure you've passed because you mm. probably have a ski pass, at big yep, wider, right oh, sorry, a big whiter, sorry, Whistler or whatever, or Whistler, yeah, yeah, mountain biker or skier, you've seen Britannia. Um, Britannia was an operating mine in 1973 when I was a kid going through there with my dad, and you drove underneath the conveyor and the concentrate was being loaded on ships, and it was going. The creek ran red with iron oxide, and <laughs> and. and, and Deposited there in yeah. the in the in the creek and it was red and the tailings were into the ocean, which is not a bad thing. But that optics, you can imagine, weren't weren't pretty. The town was gray and dirty yeah. and everything else.
0: And for people listening at home, this is about forty five minutes outside of downtown Vancouver. Exactly uh, into the house sound some of the most yeah. beautiful you know, exactly. scenery on the planet.
1: So yeah. there is my answer. Isn't it a great place now? So it's so beautiful yeah, yeah. that most people don't even know it was a mine. So if we can go from that to what we see today. We can do a lot of good stuff, and we've done a lot. of. Good. That's the proof. The The proof is what you just saw. Most people wouldn't have known that the tailings went into the ocean, that the creek was running red because it's crystal clear today. Why? Because there's a reclamation process and a water treatment process that was put together by industry, the government, and the university to treat that and manage that the way now we have to plan and design before we get started. So we have to know the downstream effects before we even get started, and that's what That's what the job of mining is. And Canada, we're the leaders of doing that in the world. And not only do we just do it here in Canada, but us trained Canadian mining engineers or North American engineers, that my company is, we take that all over the world, we take that same approach to wherever we go or we don't do it. Mm -hmm. So we're consistent with our behavior worldwide. And that's because we're Canadian. And that's because we've experienced from to where we are now, and quite frankly, we're not there yet. We've got more work to do on dealing with people's uh, health and safety, environmental impact. And of course, what's in vogue, as you mentioned, energy and reducing our GHG. But remember, the GHG is kind of just a a thing. It's just a thing they put out. I don't know if anybody's really measured it, Um, but It really is energy utilization we want to reduce energy use there's more and more of us it's harder to get energy it's more expensive so it makes sense to reduce our energy energy has some negative uh subordinate impacts that you want to obviously encourage yourself to not not use as much as you as you as you did before so those are things that we're doing and we've got a long way to go yet and i'm quite happy and that's my business again is to get into that. We have an energy technology business that's part of our group of companies that we're building out right now that takes out all the sulfur from heavy oil that, by the way, those 15 ships that go to sea, and remember there's about 40,000 of them out at sea right now, but 15 of the biggest ones make more pollution than all the vehicles hmm. on the planet, more pollution. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, look that one up, but um, 15 of those. We, they still need to float around the world. So my job is to say, okay, that's all going on around you, but let's figure out how to fix that problem. And we're investors and patent holders of a technology that we're building. Our, our, actually we've done our pilot plant. We're doing a commercial demonstration plant. We're building right now in Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta, to take the heavy bottoms, the, the nastiest oil on the planet, which is the bottom of the barrel. And I think somebody might have, in school might have, your teacher might have called you that, you know, get your shit together. You're the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> you know, that's not a good sign, right? But every barrel produced has the bottom of the barrel. And it's about 4% of the world's 100 million barrels a day. So
0: is that where that expression comes from? The bottom of the you've, oil barrel? Y- yeah, that, you've yeah. heard it. Yeah, huh. it's because it's crap. I did not know that. Yeah, you're not a hard
1: performer if you've been called that. So it's like it's like <laughs> okay. you're, you're sticky sludge. So um, And quite frankly, but it's being made every day and every yeah. barrel produced. There's 4% that's the bottom of the barrel. Like a bottom of a wine bottle that, you know, if you drink that stuff, there's that stuff in the very, very bottom. Well, that stuff gets thrown out to the sea. It gets put into ships called bunker fuel that they burn and nobody gets to see it because it's out, who's hanging around in right. the middle of the Pacific right now. So, so that's where it went. And now that product, if you can't send it out to sea, you got to backblend it and put it into some other clean barrels and dilute it. Solution to pollution is dilution. So that's getting done and that's degrading the price of the oil. Well, our solution is let's just get rid of the problem and let's create a technology that's going to pull that out economically and safe and good use of energy and that's what we're we we have right now so
0: what does your technology do does it clean it up does it make it burn more cleanly yeah
1: what it does is is the bottom of the barrel typically is you know heavy uh, chain long chain molecule of oil and uh, it's got sulfur in it sulfur is the you know one of the biggest polluters sulfur dioxide Mm -hmm. and and, uh, if you if you use uh, molten sodium, it, it attacks the sulfur. The two of them get together, and it, I'm a mining engineer, so my chemistry is very weak, but let's just say those two like to get together, and they just jump on each other, and it breaks the chain, the molecule, and with that comes the lead, the vanadium, largest source of vanadium, uh, molybdenum. All the nasties go with, with this uh, sulfur molecule, and then the, the long-chain molecule breaks itself up a little bit, and it's now sulfur free. It's clean as or cleaner than low sulfur diesel fuel at the pump and that now still retains its heavy oil energy basis that the ships need because they need to burn heavy oil because that's where the heat value comes from but now it's sulfur free and lead free and vanadium free and we pull that stuff out and we put it into the market and we use hydroelectricity to do that and so we use clean energy It has no emissions. Our process has no emissions Mm -hmm. and we pull out products that are all sellable into the marketplace and we solve a major problem for pollution in the planet. And so when people talk about, well, we don't like uh, oil sands, well, we got it. It's a great endowment. It's a great source of energy and we're getting better and better and better at processing and that's the focus that we need to be. And because it makes money, we're able to spend our money, the money that we make earning a living. And reinvest into these technologies. And that's really what our business is about.
0: Well, it's interesting, you know, uh, we've been reading a lot about this lately, uh, at Resource Insider and talking about it that, you know, probably the next step is it's not just an immediate launch into green energies, you know, solar, wind, etc. But it's actually the more efficient processing and use of of hydrocarbons, right, and capturing more uh, of the discharge and making them burn cleaner. I mean, that, very much fits into what you're saying.
1: Absolutely. Like, yeah. again, you, you, you do that it and, and it, it translates into economics. You're, you you make more money, you spend less and you make more money and you do good for the environment. The more efficient you get with energy, the better you are, obviously, to the environment. And that's just the focus. And yeah. so it's whether it's human energy or, you know, uh, energy, energy, burning something, fossil fuels or whatever, uh, those are things that you want to make uh, change. You don't want to stop. You never want to sort of a lockdown business. You want to keep pushing on the problem and looking for solutions. In order to do that, you need economics and you need engagement. And most importantly, you need leadership. And leadership has to have that vision vision that we're going to get through this. We're going to get her done. To get the Britannia mine cleaned up, there has to be a vision that we can solve a problem. But you, had, you need to have the problem and, and you need to put people on it that are willing to stick with it and push through the darkness.
0: Was there a time um, at JDS when you guys kind of sat down as a board or an executive team and said, all right, we really need to start putting resources into developing our ESG program. Our, is, that when, is there a time that became a real priority that, you know, a light bulb went on and said, this is this is something that's going to be big for this industry?
1: Um, yeah, so, so two parts to that. So, you know, ESG uh, to me is – is, is like uh, a language, it's like Spanish, because before ESG, there was corporate social responsibility, CSR, mm-hmm. and before that there was environmental uh, uh, safety and security, um, right. that was an acronym that was tossed around and in early days. It was just do the right thing. There was, you know, be safe, don't waste stuff, reclaim your equipment or materials. Yep. So there was a, there was always that in the business because as miners we're pretty cheap we're trying to be thrifty and we kind of got it figured out but we started getting more and more people in our business to help us brand our, our message but we got behind we got way behind in the last ten years in the in the sort of um, you know the the internet age and and so ESG comes along and, and gives us a uh, a new brand it, it's a new language that already, we already were doing it. We're doing it in English. Now we're doing it in, in a foreign language called ESG. So we needed to do, so rather than sitting around as a group, as a board, because we don't have one, yeah, we don't have a board. So we have alignment. We sit down and we go, hey, during COVID, there's a little bit of a pause here. We got a little bit of mm-hmm. time to think. Let's, uh, let's figure out how to get our conversion factor to ESG. So let's look at what we do and help our customers understand that that we are already doing that, but let us quantify and identify and show our customers in particular, people like CN or or uh, uh, Newmont or Foran Mining or Tseco, these people that are publishing these ESG reports and they're using words that are quite uh, attractive to activist investors, but then they need the backup to that. They need this, the, the, the documentation that says they're really doing it. Well, we've been doing it. so. What we sat around figuring out was, okay, we need to get this, this information to our customers so that we can support what they're saying. They need to have iron in their words. They speak the words, they they're laudable. Our job is to deliver the product behind that. And that's really what we actually took advantage of the COVID kind of timeline to, to, to bolster our team, to make that happen.
0: And so what do you mean by deliver the product behind that? Do you mean help them? execute on these plans and, and meet this criteria they're perhaps right. setting?
1: Right. So let's say um, somebody wants to pontificate in their in their um, their quarterly report that they're doing some things to reduce their GHG and they're doing it for all the good reasons because it's required now in the marketplace, they need to report that. Um, it's just good yeah. business to use less energy um, and to pollute less. And they might say, well, we're going to do it because we're going to invest some money into, into planting trees somewhere, do some offsets. Well, I'd come along and I'd say, you know what, actually we think we can actually change the way you run your system. So you use less horsepower, burn less energy and reduce your GHG. And you're actually able to do that with the tools that you have in place. You don't have to go external and plant trees in Brazil or somewhere else. We can actually do that, enhance your business profitability. And you can still report that goodness, mm-hmm. the gain, gain, and you can get the gain in financial and you can get the gain in motivation of people going, you know, actually the, this this ESG thing, it's not just another layer of bureaucracy on us. It's just asking us to communicate with the rest of the world what we're doing and what we need to do. So it's a focus effort. And that's where we come in. As engineers, we go and we say, yeah, the operating characteristics can change. We can do things differently. And whether it's battery locomotives uh, that we're used in the start of my career and phased out with scoop trams and ramps and things like that. We're going yeah. back to battery, not, it's nothing new. We're, we're going back to what we always knew how to do. We just now maybe have to take advantage of our mind planning and designing to figure out different ways to incorporate those systems into our, into our mindset and our mind development. So, so whether it's changing a mind plan or changing the equipment type or changing an energy source to improve the economics, which ultimately, yields those GA, uh, ESG numbers and, and statements that uh, the people are putting out there. So you see that happening here. And you know, you can look at Newmont's uh, I guess the Borden mine and all battery mine and mm-hmm. things like that and 4N and, uh, mining to make sure they produce the copper and zinc that are required for the new battery sort of uh, world. And they want to go battery in their underground mine. Well, let's help them with that design and bring them in really efficient execution of their, of their, uh, uh, their words that they're putting out there. You
0: know, it seems to me a lot of the the changes going on in mining right now are also being driven from the top down, the large investors and capital allocators, the pension plans and university endowments and the big funds that are trickling money down into the space are focusing more and more on ESG. Does that that factor into your business at all? Is that uh, something you guys are seeing at JDS on the actual building and construction side?
1: A- absolutely. And uh, I was going to, I just had to look at my notes here, but there's a lady na- named uh, Laureen Taylor-Wolf and I think she's Impact of Investments and she's made it her sort of mission to push the ESG uh, thing uh, out there. And, and again, she represents a bunch of money and, mm-hmm. and so all mines, they, they need money. They need three types of capital, financial capital, intellectual capital, and trust capital. And of course the trust capital is the one of the most important, but the hardest to get. But the financial capital now is being told, as you can imagine, whether yeah. it's endowments and universities or people saying, Hey, we're not going to push our money into, into these businesses unless they make change. Sometimes they say we're not going to put it in at all, which is, odd, which is odd. If people are saying, Hey, we're not going to invest in energy. Well, in oil energy, well, it's, it, we're still needing it. We're not getting it off and getting off at any time soon. So, so that part will, you know, will disregard the sort of far, you know, the, the binary types that say we're not doing it at all, but we'll go to those people that are saying we need to see positive change in the way people address these issues. Mm-hmm. And we'll work for those people. We'll put our hand up to say, hey, actually, we can find the solution that you're going to like, like my example of getting the sulfur out of heavy oil. Look, if you want to do something about pollution, I think we got a solution that's not dilution. We're going to we're going to show you an investment opportunity that makes a lot of money, saves a lot of money and does a huge uh, uh benefit to the uh, disproportional benefit to the uh, uh to the uh, environment
0: you know my kind of view here is that we are currently in the in the hype stage of what i would call the energy revolution where you know the whole world has has decided basically that we're going to be moving off of uh fossil fuels and moving to green energy and there's obviously a lot of money going into anyone anything anyone sees as forwarding that goal i mean look at tesla is the best example of that is it i think it's the best example of capital pouring into a stock that people think um believe that will fix these problems right i don't think it's the best solution to actually fixing those problems and that's what uh, the point i'm getting at is that i think after the hype stage there's going to have to be a realism stage and say people are going to say shit well you know owning electric car manufacturers doesn't really get the job done you know those things need copper they need nickel they need lithium they need uh the energy to be generated in a way you know a bunch of coal power plants you know fueling teslas doesn't make much
1: difference right so right I and, think the, and the world's still running 55 percent on coal so you know exactly, where's where yeah. that coming from so that's exactly my point just like the britannia mine example we don't have to wait 45 years to figure out what we need to do now we know we've got technology that we can impart In into, the, into the production of, of energy. We just need people to be aware. We need parents to tell their kids it's yeah. just not a Tesla. Let's look at this thing and let's look at where the energy comes from. But people have to have the uh, intellectual fortitude, so to speak, to, to investigate further and not just accept what got pushed out on the internet or yeah. or, or on TV. So or on a podcast. We need to actually dig deeper into these things. We need to challenge people. We need to have people that go through and say, okay, but there is going to be impacts and benefits. Everything has a cost. Uh, has a cost. Yeah. And so, but we're always trying to get better. And we have as citizens, we, we live longer, the air is cleaner, the water's cleaner, et cetera. Um, so we have to call bullshit on some of the stuff that's being pumped out there from our from our governments and thought leaders or what they people would term <laughs> thought leaders. So, so, yeah. so that's the focus. And that's really what our business is, is we we go to people and we say, again, we're, we're not saying that we're the expert in everything, but yeah. we know we need to tunnel in on a lot of stuff to dispel, um, the common, you know, thoughts. And, and, and by the way, energy production in Canada is one of the lowest GHGs and people would say, how do you say that? Well, you got to look at the total cycle. We don't transport our energy that we make here in, in Alberta, uh, across the ocean and back again, say from Saudi or Russia or anywhere else, we send it by pipeline typically, or train, to our our nearest neighbor who's our biggest consumer of our product. And so we don't have, as I mentioned, the issue with pollution on the ships going out and coming back. So when you look at the total life cycle, if people would take the time and want to follow you through that, and they actually put down their guard and, you know, if you want to just take the time and sit down and we can go through this. And if you have some ideas on or thoughts of what you didn't like talk to me and we'll go through them and we'll see if we can run those things to ground and we do that can- Canadians we've we've done that for a long time we're we export this knowledge around the world quietly yeah. but we don't celebrate it g- good enough or we don't have representation to promote it good enough at our at our, uh, pro- our uh, political level or in our business level
0: do you see within the mining industry some low-hanging fruit that if the capital was invested there, that maybe isn't getting the money it deserves, you could see a really big impact on this. I mean, the thing that jumps out to me, of course, and this is peripherally related to the mining industry, but is nuclear power. You mm-hmm. know, I think nuclear power is you know, the next logical step in energy that we need a lot more of it than we're currently seeing. But is there, in your experience, anything you see that th- you think, well, if you wanna make a big
1: impact, you gotta invest some dollars here. Yeah, good, good one. And, and again, um, back to the Britannia mines. Nuclear energy, 1931, you know, uh, Great Bear Lake in the Northwest Territories, that's where the uranium started with in Canada and then into Uranium City in Athabasca and then further into the Ontario. But so this isn't new. You know, we were there. We were pioneers in the initial days into the nuclear energy uh, research, including the do reactor that was Canadian deuterium uranium reactor that was designed and exported around the world. And then we got off of that. We got off of nuclear, nuclear became a bad thing when I was a kid growing up here in Vancouver. So there was a stigma, so people kind of backed away from that. But, you know, again, good companies like Chemical continued on and produced and sent nuclear power around the world or, or product around the world. So it's not, not, you know, a novel idea. It's just like we need to look backwards to go forwards. There's some good things that we did here we should celebrate and we should re-lift up again and, and inspire our young people to dig in. So there is some low hanging fruit. It's not like there's a lot of a lot of hard work that we've got to reinvent something here. We just actually have to pick up where we left off. We've had a gap, we've had yeah. a winter.
0: Well, I look at, I mean, myself, I'm invested in several companies exploring BC porphyry coppers, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, when you, they're a little lower grade than other places in the world. But if you want clean metal, I mean, There's nowhere better in the world than British Columbia. It's going to be totally powered almost by hydroelectric power. It's going to have the highest work and safety environmental standards. It's going to employ indigenous peoples, first nations. And that's, you know, to me, getting those up and producing and providing copper across North America is one of the best impacts you could have. But absolutely. So when you to a mine in in the Congo or in Mongolia, exactly.
1: When you think about it, everything has a balance sheet and you have to put on that balance sheet, the E S and G. And if we're fully, on board with that, let's be honest and get through the details of mm-hmm. those things. And as you mentioned in British Columbia, phenomenal copper endowment that we have here, averaging about 0. 0.45 is probably the best that we can get out of a mm-hmm. average big copper mine in British Columbia. And by the way, the grades in the world are kind of coming down to that number. So once again, we're going to be back in vogue here in the open-pit copper or now low uh, grade, but underground bulk copper producers. So. You know, people would say we don't like those big open pits and the ARD that comes out of the waste rock and things like that, and the disturbances. great. Take a good example uh, being the Afton mine up there in Kamloops, which is new gold that owns that. It used to be tech mine, it used to be an open pit mine with a smelter there. Yeah. And today, which we work there, and we have about 80 folks working there, so I'm a little bit biased that they're a great customer, they're phenomenal people, but that's a block caving, bulk block caving operation that, that mines copper there for less than $10 a ton, which is pretty good for an underground operation. And so they took the chance, the capital to build this thing out to be a modern, effective, low energy, low GHG producer. They use the natural qualities of the rock to break as a block cave. So no drilling or blasting for the ore itself. It caves, it comes down by gravity and gets picked up with three trucks loaded onto a conveyor, short haul, three trucks, that's it to move 15 plus thousand tons a day on a conveyor, up a ramp by electricity into a mill. So, so electrification, gravity, less hydrocarbon, less uh, blasting products, things like that. And it's, it's doing a hell of a job. Now the life cycle of that mine, originally small underground mine, then a tech open pit mine, and then now a large underground efficient operation, it just keeps getting better and better. This, this project that, that the new gold doesn't, they're on the phase C of it, so the third phase of their block caving, it continues to get better and better and better with respect to to, to uh, hitting those metrics on not just profitability, but the ESGs. Those are the things that we need to start to explain to people. Don't be afraid of what you saw. Yeah. Because just because you saw it today, doesn't mean it's going to look like that in the future. Yeah. We as Canadians can get past that. We need to get past it. Starts at home, parents, kids. You know, a little bit of a sniffle, get back out there, get on the field.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's talk about COVID. Let's talk about it's it. It's been a challenging, interesting, unique year for the world. You run a business that has a lot of people, involves a lot of places. There's a lot of logistics. How to it work? What'd
1: you do? Well, again, uh, right from the start, um, it's kind of like running a mine. People, you know, COVID and uh, there's a bit of a panic. If you have an incident, the first thing people do is they kind of freeze and they stop. Mm-hmm. When you stop, you always have to have a, a, a method of getting back in operation. That was the, you know, okay, there's a safety incident. What do we do? We investigate, we fix, and we get back to work. Um, in COVID, I, I kind of anticipated that this is what was going to happen. There was going to be a stop and almost a freeze because of our the way that the ethos of our current uh, politicians are. Um, so I knew that if things were going to move forward, I had to take a role as a, as a business owner, business leader, that it was really up to me. It wasn't the government that was going to say go or do diff- different things. And I sure wasn't going to take any government assistance, CERB or anything like that. I did have an obligation to protect the 400 and some odd employees that we had, 400 families that relied on me and the business to continue to go for their w- welfare. So, So I, I really took a conscious effort to like, okay, guys, what, what do we have to do differently to service our clients that are in Mexico, that are in Guyana, that are in Botswana and Yukon. And we went to our, our, our own, the owners that we worked for and we said, Hey, let's, uh, let's, we can still work there. We own a aviation business. We will fly directly from Vancouver to Georgetown, Guyana, and we'll put our people in and out of that to keep it going to Mexico to Northern Ontario so we don't go through the airports. If these are the restrictions that we have, we've got a solution. I mentioned about the barge. We've got a solution to get that drawbridge down and moving. So I put a lot of energy into doing that. We upgraded our our private aviation business to a commercial aviation business so that we could actually get paid to do that, not just look after our own bodies uh, on a private basis, but to look after our other customers. So we were able to do things like complete we we're right in the start, but ultimately completed the build out of pure gold mining. Uh Darren LeBrantz and and uh yep. Graham Curry, uh we went to them and said, well, We got a solution to keep you going. And again, you know, Ontario lockdown and Red Lake. Well no, we can we can do this. So so we put in a real aggressive approach to keep our foot on the gas and how did safely. That?
0: How did you do that there? Because, I, you know, I actually have been talking to Darren and Marco Day about going on a site visit there. Uh, yeah. And there were real challenges with uh, the community and mm-hmm. First Nations and, and getting in there. And, you know, I kind of, we put our trip on hold until things calmed down a little bit. But how did you keep... You know really the essential stuff the work moving forward
1: well you, sh- you should have called me we could have put you on the jet with the board of directors and got you down there back uh, well, in the listen, day we should have done this yeah.
0: podcast six months ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it probably looks better now that they're producing some gold but uh yeah. anyway no so you know the mining business again we 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 do some nasty stuff with respect to working in in, in challenging conditions risky conditions high places hot places, cold places, faraway places, deep down underground, there's lots of risks, but we've always figured out a way to do that, deal with those risks Mm. with either engineering them out or putting procedures in place or uh, appropriate uh, safety gear. So those things apply to COVID. Damn it. We can work around cyanide and we can have safe procedures and and equipment and, and backup systems. If things go slightly wrong, Um, we can sure work with the COVID. So convincing our people that there's protocols in place. At the time, even though we, as a, as a society around the world, we probably overreacted with respect to like, you know, lives on things for 10 days and, you know, we've caught through that, but okay, if that's what the, the thinking is, let's make sure we have the safety equipment to have the barriers between the COVID and us, but let's not stop working. Let's demonstrate that. Let's keep our people isolated. So again, the plane, the module of people, their bubble moving from here to there. The same thing with our people coming from Saskatchewan to, uh, to BC to work. They couldn't fly. Okay, well, let's organize a a group commute from northern Saskatchewan to to BC to be underground miners. So there's procedures that we can put in place just like we do when we run a mine, whether it's cyanide issues or silicosis or anything else. These are things that you have to be aware of. Make it top of mind, make sure that you can get, and you got to do some communication and selling to our people. Now, during COVID, we lost a few. We didn't lose anybody to COVID, but we lost people as a result of COVID with respect to some of our employees. The weaker employees fell off our business because they didn't feel comfortable about putting themselves out there. Well, that's actually and, what I was going to ask and you. So, 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 yeah. so not everything is all rosy. So you do lose yeah. a few people. And quite frankly, I'm okay with that. that people have choices. So and these
0: were people that left the business, not people that passed away.
1: No, exactly. Like okay. I said, we didn't lose yeah. people. Uh, from COVID but uh, as, a, as a result well, of
0: that was my next question because you know you're obviously
1: pretty hard charging driven guy uh, you know I think I'm a pretty compassionate uh, gentle I'm a, a soft spoke uh, you know Kaylee.
0: you can be both you can be both <laughs> now but did you see the same mentality amongst your clients amongst uh, you know the executive and the team at JDS were people keen to sort of I mean, for lack of a better words, sort or of pull themselves up by the bootstraps and get after it, or was you know what did you see a more pervasive fear? And you've already uh, partially answered. I, I, that.
1: I've seen the, I saw the fear, and I saw it everywhere, and I saw it in the community uh, where I live in Kelowna and Vancouver here, uh, in business. I saw it in government, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the fight, flight, and now our government freeze the new one. Just <laughs> don't do anything, and nobody will see me like a ptarmigan or something out in the Arctic uh, tundra. Um, doesn't doesn't help because eventually you got to come out and you got to deal with the real issue. So that was something that as, as myself, as a person, there's no way I knew this was not going to go well. Mm. Mental health was more of an issue for me. I was like right on the bat, you know, big supporter of mental health, called them and asked them right the first day during the shutdown, lockdown, can you send me some material that I can send out to people about surviving this mental health effect that's going to, and make sure that everybody had an inbound to me. So people were communicating to me that their, their worry. And then my job was to say, okay, you you know, it's understandable that you're worried. My job is to give you a path forward. There's an opportunity actually to do even better. My services, I offered my planes. We have multiple planes, helicopters. I offered them to the first phone call was the federal government. Let me offer up my tools to do whatever you need, bringing people inbound from we did. We did rescue missions to bring people out of out of foreign countries. Let me help. I'm not here just to critique and, you know, Mm. you know, say negative stuff but I want to do something and besides just stand on the sidelines waiting to be told. So that, that approach draw, drew in different people, customers the same way. People like CN Rail, who have very strict rules and regulations on how they, they operate on, and they have you know unions and people that opted out of their work program. And they called for help from me and said, yeah, can you guys fill in, backfill? Yes, we can, we're there for you. We will adopt the protocols that are safe that our folks are trained and comfortable with and will deliver the product that you need while you deal with your your uh, specific uh, issues. So the business actually grew. We grew a lot, both in terms of things we do, yeah. economics that we delivered, but mentally. the People grew on becoming more and more socially aware, and we're not going to just take it as it's being delivered from the top.
0: What about you personally? I mean, did you find this a you know, highly stressful time, or was it... Kind of an exhilarating experience. How did you personally react to it?
1: Well, you know, personally, I was, I was really, again, my, my experience, cause I've seen a few major issues in my career in the mining business yeah. from tailings dam failures to, to, unfortunately one fatality on my beat at the early stage of my career, uh, to environmental pushback with respect to how we built mines and, and union issues and things like that. So I've dealt with like the crisis of like, stop, think get her back, the mine needs to continue to keep running as, as, as bad as it sounds. Sorry about your loss, but we actually have the other 400 employees that we need to keep going and commitments to keep cash flowing and we'll deal with your, take your item and we'll push it offline. So I knew this was going to yeah. be an issue that we're going to have to have a hard sell to both inter- internally, the words inside needed to match the words outside to my customers, that guys and girls in the company, we got to pull together. We got to come to the office. We got to work as a team and collaborate on our solutions. We didn't shut down not one day in our company. Maybe that's a bad thing to say. And I, I, I kind of feel bad for people who did shut down and they didn't have any choices like the restaurant people and things like that. Mm. But our business, we continued to work every day and we got together in a collaborative basis. There was no restaurants open. We brought lunch in. We actually took turns cooking and putting on a spread and inviting our neighbors in the community of the mining community and around us and the banking community to come and sit with us and talk about what things we needed to do, what we could do both as a business and as a Canadian and how we could help others. And that's really what came So that was, for me, that was like, I loved it. It was like, uh, uh, you know, in the case, in the face of crisis, people coming together and that, that, that's what, that's what drives me, man. That's like, it's clicking.
0: Have you ever heard the expression, uh, never let a good crisis go to
1: waste? Yeah, that's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, bad thing to say and again it's a political thing to say and because you never want a crisis and for me it's just a behavior i think people need to be taught a behavior yeah you know what you see in the moment um you know people say to be politically correct we have to be politically correct we're not politically correct we're politically careful we understand that there's many perspectives and not all the data comes in right at the first thing to make judgment before you get a larger sample set is is dangerous. So so when we see the crisis or any project, yeah. don't just jump on with the popular narrative. Take some time and be politically careful because other people on the other side of the trade are going to be affected and, and we got to be careful. It's not all about just one win and the other losses. So those are the things that as a business, that's the way we run our business. We're there to add value. If we, I can't sell you a 10X on my service and you get the 10X in the value, I shouldn't be talking to you. You should be figuring it out yourself. And, and that's what we do. If I can't see a pathway forward to be successful, I shouldn't even sign up for the job. I haven't taken too many negative bets as far as I'm not going to go there. I've always tried to figure out the solution and that's what I think we need to do a better job. So it's not, don't wait for the crisis, just take the behavior that you can influence things positively if you put your mind to it.
0: Well, you know, I, I like that expression. Uh, never let a good crisis go to waste, because you know, crisis is obviously has a negative connotation, but it also means a time of change, right? Right. And often, when there's this sort of forced change upon you, it, it gives you the opportunity to fix things you might not have been able to fix in in a normal environment, in a normal operating environment. You know, taking a step back from outside of the mining industry or energy industry specifically, so Canada in a lot of the world is an a crisis right now. This is going to be, this is making taking a major hit on economies all over the world, you know, here in particular, or at least here as much as anywhere. How do you think we, we don't let this crisis go to waste? How can Canada kind of come back from this and encourage businesses and entrepreneurship and all the things that have been devastated the last year, you know, I we, we lock around Vancouver and half the bloody stores are shut half the restaurants are shut. I think of all the people that invested their life savings and probably then some to get those things up and going and they're been regulated out of existence. You know, how? How do you think we can talk about how mining and your business fits into this, but maybe even more generally how we the, the, the steps we need to take to come back from this?
1: Absolutely. So so again, again, crisis, and I think obviously, there's a there is a crisis, but every day, I call it, there's an opportunity. Some people don't recognize it because it's not foisted upon them, but I do. That's our business as we are ants. We hunt out those opportunities. We don't know where they are, but we're going to find them.
0: So your ants? Ants. Do ants hunt out? I guess they- Well, ants,
1: when they get together in the ant hill, they don't actually have a team meeting. They don't have a board of directors. (laughs) They don't say, we're going to go find honey at coordinates X, Y, and Z. Yeah, yeah. And one of them finds something, comes back and there's a whole trail of them that follow. They find an opportunity, they just know there's opportunity out there. They don't know where it is. They don't have MBAs. They're really (laughs) good at what they do or they die and that's it. So our business is the same way. We hunt opportunities, we look for differentials and we try to close the gap. And that's what's going on right now. There's an opportunity here that's being, that's, that's foisted upon us. And then we can learn from it. We can use MBAs now because they'll like to write about history and tell you all these things that happened and why their models showed that that happened. This is a great opportunity for those guys to actually have something real to talk about. Look what happened when you made this decision, this decision, this. Now what did we learn from it? Let's not go there. What do we need to learn from it? Is it there's cellular groups of people that have an ability to influence on activities, come up with a, a vaccination boom get on that right now get working on vaccination the day the issue started get on with ventilator production boom well it's going to be two months before they get produced that's no good get on it today because the best day was yesterday second best is today get going and all of a sudden learn that we better have some inventory get on the fact that yeah the hospitals might get overloaded but deploy the emergency response team we can send our military all over the damn world but we can't send it to our own local issues, yeah. damn it. Let's get, let's get that tooled up again. So there's a great opportunity to get people to focus on real stuff. Now, forget about Tinder and all that shit, just get working on real physical things that we need to survive. So I think that that is an, uh, uh, an opportunity. Individual businesses now can focus on closing this gap. There's a real business model and in, in fixing things and whether it's supply chain or in my case, education, I want people to be educated on what happened here. And when people promoted a bunch of stuff that didn't deliver, people that didn't have ability to actually do anything because they're like politicians, they're so disconnected from yeah. the, the bottom line. You don't necessarily have to take everything they they say for granted. Let's get down and understand the problem. And I do that a lot. I get on my plane and I grab people and say, come with me, let's go look at this. Let's see it face to face. Let's go underground and understand what the issue is here. Agree on the plan resource to plan and get it done. And that's really what I think is going to come out of this. There's going to be a new generation of people that are going to say, we got locked down. We were forced to play soccer with masks on outside and minus 10 in Prince George. I'll tell you, having a barbecue in Prince George, because we just built a shop there. We built a shop during COVID and for our railway business uh, in Prince George. You know what it's like to sit on a patio at minus 20 in Prince George? It ain't pretty. It's not pretty in most of the times, but <laughs> minus 20 because like you might get COVID if you ate it in, indoors and, or if you ate in one of these, yeah, yeah. they call it a patio here, blue, uh, black and blue. It's not a patio. It's a, it's a building on top of a building is what it is. But what is this nonsense? So now we're going to have people that can be critical thinkers now and go this, there's some inconsistencies with what we are told and we need to take more of an in-depth in, in, in depth approach on, on, on our path forward. So I think there's some good things that are coming out of this. and. You know, we heard about inflation. Oh, no inflation here, no inflation here. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's a market reaction here a couple of days ago when the, the numbers were four or five times what were predicted. Yeah, because these are predictive models. It shouldn't surprise you that they're not going to be actually right. So be prepared to be right yourself. Make sure that you have enough bullets yourself. And that's us back to the food chain. Make sure you have control of your food chain. You as an individual, as a business, and as a country.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, we're coming up on time here, but I want to ask you a few more sort of quicker questions. Yeah, dig in. Dig deep, man. I, um, you know, you run a big business. You're in several businesses now. A lot of people that listen to this podcast, they're not investors sitting at home. That's about 50%. The other 50% are people that work in this industry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all ranges from CEOs of companies, all the way to, you know, junior geologists, engineers, uh, and guys working on the ground. And a lot of them are going to be listening to this and thinking, shit, you know. That's pretty cool what Jeff's done. How do I do that? How do I make a name for myself in this space? And I'd like to talk, you know, ask a few questions for the younger people or the people starting out that kind of gives them, I guess, some guidance on, on how to really succeed here. And you know, I think of everyone that I've seen in in mining has two things in common. They're really good at exposing themselves to serendipity. They're really good at exposing themselves to luck. Because luck, as you know, plays such a big part in this business, especially if you're a company, you're trying to make a discovery, you got to get lucky. The other thing is they bounce back from setbacks. Well, pretty much everyone that's extremely rich in mining has had one major blow up in in their career, things that have gone terribly wrong. So let's start by the luck question. How do you think someone starting out in the space, called a 25-year-old? he or she exposes themselves to getting lucky, to get that big job, to make that big win, to start a company. What, do you, what did you do?
1: Well, a good point good point, and I, I you, you nailed it. This is like a phenomenal educational tool. I grew up in here in West Vancouver. I was a, a lucky kid that grew up and my father was a fireman, blue collar worker and a union man and we just happened to be born in West Van and the market took off when I graduated school. I couldn't afford a house in West Van either. At that time it was a million dollars a house that my father owned and he couldn't afford it and he had to move. So, you know, people talk about housing today. What do we do? Well, you can't afford it. Move. So you have to invest in yourself. You have to realize I've got to pick up and move because nobody's going to pay me to stay here, this lifestyle that, that I am I love. But I got the drug that I want to be a part of this kind of level of society. I see it. I like it. I want to do something about it.
0: You've seen the wealth, you mean. You see it. the wealth, yeah, that, yeah.
1: that drug of success. You, you, you get that first insight that hey my life doesn't have yeah. to be miserable.
0: I think that's so important seeing successful people early on and if you don't and I mean I think of my own life changing when I moved from Kingston Ontario to Toronto even and then Toronto to Vancouver and you just see well, holy shit like I didn't even know people made this sort
1: of money. Right. So but you got well, to see so, that. Well so yeah. so as a young kid I was able to go from West Vancouver with my wife and I've been with my wife for 35 years and move her from West Van to a place like Flin Flon Manitoba. <laughs> So, for and, people
0: listening at home, West Van is one of the wealthiest areas of Vancouver. Beautiful houses near the ocean. One of the nicest places in Canada to live. Flimflon is different.
1: Well, you have to learn how to curl, eat pierogies, and drink. That's that's and smoke.
0: Which one were you best at? Would you say? Uh,
1: well, I got to. I, I adapt pretty well, so I got to. Do, <laughs> I got to do all of Could them. Did you do all three? At the I, same Yeah, that's time, what it is. That's the yeah. standard. Smoke, hold my drink. I got a sweep. So, uh, and it was quite good. And that's actually one of the best learnings I ever had. So, again you know, people want to be successful. It's investing. If you want somebody to invest in you, you better invest in yourself. You better take some time to educate yourself, work the hard, hard, long hours, not just toiling away on your job, say underpaid, you think, but putting an extra time to better yourself. That investment is required. You're bang on with luck. You got to be in business to be lucky. I'll I'll share you a couple lucky things that happened to me. One is one is I got to to participate in the oil sands after building a diamond mine, which was a phenomenal uh, opportunity for me as a young mining manager at the Akati mine when I was 29 years old, to design it, to build it, to make it successful. I was lucky. I got to meet some great people, a legend in the mining business, John Zagarlic, Echo Bay, and the stories he he took to me. He'd come to my house and and sit in my house and yell knife and tell me all about how things were done back yeah. in the day. So I had the luck of somebody sharing their knowledge that they had gone before me to teach me what they learned from their experiences. Number one, people. Two, was the opportunity, the commodity. I got the opportunity after doing my job, which I was a low paid guy relative to the hourly folks that got overtime and things like that. But I got now to choose where I got to go next. Opportunities to go work in Copper and Escondida and BHP in in Australia. They asked me if I'd go to Fort McMurray to work in the oil sands mine. I said, absolutely. We're pioneering the new technology in oil sands. So I got in there in 1998. Oil was about $11 a barrel, not too attractive to anybody to produce, let alone an oil sands mine and let alone a copper miner in the oil business. They said no.
0: After, I said no to you. after
1: four months of being me transferring to Fort McMurray from Yellowknife, which I thought was a great promotion from no grass to grass. And, uh, and, 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 and working there, and everybody said, how oh, can you work in Fort McMurray? And I said, this is awesome. So, so the company pulls out and says, Jeff, from are transferring you to Escondida. I said, how oh, can I stay? And they said, well, we're leaving. You'd have to quit. I said, well, I quit. I'm staying here, because this is, I'm standing on five billion barrels of oil under my feet. I can make my feet move, and the oil comes up. This is crazy. This is going to be mined. So I stayed. And then I went to Shell, who was the senior partner, said, if we got together and came up with the money to buy BH share, BHP's share of the project, would you sell it to us? They said, sure. But you got to come up with the money to build the mine, which your share would be about $1.2 billion. Can you do that? Well, I think we can try. And
0: how old were you at this point?
1: I think I was a senior statesman at about 35. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and uh, But I was the general manager of the project for BHP. Yeah. BHP pulled out. 22 of us got together. We bought their share. And we met a guy who helped us, who just finished building the Alliance Pipeline. Guy Turcott, mentor, person, lucky, met him, done it. Let me show you. He says to me, you're pretty good at building a mine. I'm pretty good at raising capital. You do your job. I'll do mine. Perfect. Division of labor, efficient. Boom, oil, 10, 12, 13 bucks a barrel. Not too popular back in the day. All of a sudden the Gulf War starts going on, the bush thing. Oil starts creeping up. We own oil at $10 a barrel. We raise the capital. We get debt, half equity, half half debt. We form a company called Western Oil Sands. We launch that company, fifteen bucks a share. We sell the company at about one hundred and ten bucks a share, because oil goes to a hundred plus dollars a barrel. How you got to be in it, take? in it to win it, and you got to be in it because you bring something to the table. You're invested, not just financial capital, intellectual capital. And the number one thing for me is the commitment to see it through. The people, me, I had to sign on. They said, can you sign on for a six-year contract in Fort McMurray? And everybody's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm like, sure. A job for six years in this beautiful place with a road leading to it that I can drive on. And so I saw all the positives. And the next thing you know, again, we sell our company for $7 billion. Our 20% share in seven years, $7 billion. I got a little bit of money. As I mentioned to you earlier, <laughs> boss, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to start my own company and I'm going to take my lessons that I learned and the people that I worked with both worked for me, I worked with and worked for, and I'm going to form a company that focuses on looking for more of these types of opportunities. And that's what I try to tell young people. It doesn't come right away. Mm-hmm. It, 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 the copper market might not go to 475, yeah. but you got to be in it if you're going to actually participate in And so while you're in it's it, it's
0: hard to see that future equity you're building, right? In right. your own future. I but guess. if you're
1: getting paid yeah. to do it anyways, what's the downside? Yeah. I'm working, you got to work. You know, you can't be Elon Musk-esque. You know, you can't just throw an idea out there and, and just drive stock price because you're a great marketer. Not all of us can do that. And not very many people can do that. But you can definitely apply your trade and feed the market, which is the raw materials that the world needs. And you can know you can be in, in, in business pretty well steady doing that. So what what a great way to kind of make your money, take your investment and see your investment grow and have some control. And that's what our business is. And that's why you see in our business, moment, we have an investment arm, JDS resources, and we take our cash and capital and we deploy it into other people's projects that we like we 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 see them and we go ah we can help projects
0: you're building as well too so you'll become an investor yes and we'll invest in
1: in direct cash we'll invest in capital into equipment we'll say hey you know what those barges you 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 shouldn't own them we'll own them and manage them and uh, we'll take that capital off your that power plant well we'll build that that building that con shed well we'll put that up and we'll own that we'll lease it back to you that equipment we'll lease that equipment and so that's what we do that's where you see your equipment list or infrastructure our, uh, our uh, underground contracting division. You know, we, we just go through those things because we can take our investment and we know we have some say in that as far as how it's deployed and we know how much of a benefit it is if it's working properly, the people are working properly to the investment, the bigger investment, the asset that we're working on and we're totally aligned with our customers and that's what I try to get with individuals. You want me to invest in you? You need to invest in yourself. You need to show me that you're part of the food chain. And that you're vested into what we're, we're, we're going for. So COVID, again, was a big test. It, seized, it really sorted out who was vested in the philosophy versus those that were just hangers-on, fringers.
0: Tourists. All right. So let me try to summarize that. Yeah. Being willing to go to the right places. Oh man, What were the other ones? Being willing to go to the right places, being... I had a whole list in my head before I started talking. Well, you can edit over and well, come up I with it. Cool. I'm yeah. willing <laughs> to invest in the right places, but being willing to essentially invest in yourself—oh, people. Being yeah. able to meet the right people, being able to add more value than just capital. Uh, and
1: there's one more. At the well, end. well, let me simplify it again. Like to be successful in anything in business, there's three capital requirements: financial capital, intellectual capital, and trust capital. And you can only get trust capital if you. have been in it and you've done it and you're in it to win it and you learn from mistakes. So trust is a super important component because the financial capital won't come if they don't see the trust. Yeah. The intellectual capital won't come if they don't see the value. So those three things, individuals have to come to the party with themselves. They have to have that, that trust and that, Hey, Jeff's going to actually come good in the end in this thing, the guy's like hard on us. He's making us work in these places and. We sent a young mining engineer. We pulled him out of school. We paid for his graduation and everything out of Montana. We brought him to our office. We sent him down to Mexico and he got kidnapped on his first assignment in Mexico. That guy today is our project manager in Botswana sinking the shaft for another leader in the mining business, Ira Thomas, that she's mm. my customer. And, 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 but those are the people they've said, you know, hang on. We've seen some stuff like this before this guy, unfortunately, I do not want to advocate, nobody needs to get kidnapped, but, but, but he's been through some adversity and he's okay with setting up the barriers to make sure that he's protected in a better way going forward. So that he didn't, he didn't run away from me. He didn't quit. He didn't freeze in space and he, he showed up. And so that's the thing that we like to see. So, so that's really key, key to me. And the other thing is mentorship. So we all have mentors. And those mentors typically should be like our fathers or mothers. They're people in our family that are good people, community members, the natural people, the coaches and the Boy Scout leaders. So you got to realize that there's mentors around you everywhere. And those mentors sometimes are the people that are working for you. They, If you take the time and you create the environment, they will teach you how to behave to make you a better leader. So the people have to know that they're coming into this. They're just not going to like be taking the drip drip from the feeder, they're actually going to be building the business. They themselves have to take ownership and participation. They have to teach the leaders. In my career, my mentors are the people that call me that were working for me, that were laborers or truck drivers or miners. And they call me up and say, Jeff, you know, you really made a difference in my life in the way you did this, and you gave me a chance in this, and whatever. And that shapes me. It makes me think more about me as a person, how to run my business. Those people are my mentors. They are giving me the feedback. They actually saw it in themselves that they could actually speak to me and give me direction. The mentors, and whether they're some of my customers that I work for and they share me, as I mentioned, a guy like John Zegarlick, who was actually a contractor working for me, who took the time as a senior statesman himself in the mining business to come to my house at night and yell knife on a Sunday and tell me, hey, <laughs> you know, you ought to change some of these things. You can make a lot of money, you can do some good and take yeah. some chances. So those people will give you those those pieces of information if you're receptive. So you have to not only be aware that there's mentors out there and and trying to attract them, you have to be a mentor yourself, but you have to put the bait out there. So people want to communicate to you. You got to be receptive to new ideas and things. You also got to be relevant. You got to keep up. And that's why this ESG stuff that comes out, it's, it's the new language. Mm -hmm. Me as a guy getting out of the bonding business, I'm getting old. I'm going to die. I don't have any choice about it. I'm not going to get out until I die. But, but I got to learn the new language. I got to keep up with the the new space, but I'm not not going to throw everything away. I'm going to start to translate my, my initiatives into the new language. And I'm going to make everybody else aware I'm listening. I'm listening, but you also are going to get something back in return. So be a mentor. Mentors are everywhere. You actually have to focus and say, I got to do my job as a mentor. I've got to take some time and spread myself around and not just in my business, but in my community. In my country. I've got things to do and I've got to push out there if I want to make it better. And that's really what what matters. That's the person that, that gets into being an entrepreneur, that risks capital. Capital is something that's so hard to get and so easy to lose. And they need to understand that.
0: Is there any advice that you consistently hear being given to younger, younger people in this industry or anyone that you think is bad advice? Any sort of ideas that are often troped around that you you totally disagree
1: with? Uh yeah. Get an MBA after you say get an engineering degree and you get immediately get an MBA in school. Mm-hmm. You know, that that I think that's bad advice. You know, the there's nothing that's better than getting real uh, experience. So, you know, as I said, I get a mining engineer went back on to shoveling muck into the mine car and running a electric locomotive underground and running a jumbo and a jack leg and Well, I went to all the school to get an engineering degree, but you know, that experience and that human element of getting involved with the people at the ground level, actually being a union member at the time and being elected as the shop steward, uh, mining engineer at the mine was a bit, wow. But uh, so that experience versus say going on and propelling yourself to like MBA and being super analytical, I'd say precisely inaccurate. Lots of precision but you actually don't know what you're talking about. So, <laughs> so you need to get into the dirt. And yeah. Get into the dirt. And so people you do need PhDs. Some people are just bent that way. They're so good. They they can do a Rubik's cube in a couple of minutes. I've never even managed to complete a Rubik's cube. Actually, you probably don't even know what one is. It's probably. I know what a Rubik's cube is. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that's the thing is that you got to you get have your it. hands dirty. You do. Yeah. yeah. And don't not just try dirty to skip but that calloused. process. Yeah. You know what? A lot of people come in palms up it's not that it's not palms up you need to have your hands on some tools doing the work and then the money comes to you don't come in with palms up this you got to come in with a solution you got to have some experience as i mentioned that trust capital you got to be invested
0: okay any other tidbits advice or resources that you'd recommend for people starting out in the space could be books could be mentors could be <clears throat> anything anything you think people should be doing that they're not
1: um I think a lot of time volunteer and getting out, whether it's like working at say something like simple as the Britannia mine museum and understanding what went on before, uh, history, reading history, which I'm a big fan of history by accident, because I worked in a lot of these places that were historical and I kind of found out, but if I knew more earlier, the politic, working with first nations and understanding and living in these communities, you know, getting out into the communities to understand the real issues. This camp thing about me, I want to have the lifestyle outside of the mine and I'm going to do two weeks in, two weeks out because they have lattes in Vancouver. They don't have lattes in Flim Flon. So so go and learn and live with the environment that you're going to eventually become part of and you'll be successful. Understand the real issues at the ground level. So that's what people can do to prepare themselves, like outdoors people, travel. um, You know, just get out and do and don't take everything that's being fed to you through the formal channels of the internet or TV granted, go find out for yourself. That's really critical.
0: Is there anything that I didn't ask you, didn't touch on today that we should have talked about? Yeah, I think
1: just in it real quick uh, here, it, it, everybody talks about diversity. Mm. And and uh, we never really talk about diversity ourselves, but we're being forced to, and that's fine. I'm happy to describe that we're we're doing. And you met a lady here today, uh, um, Kaylee, I brought in to, to assist us with communicating what we should be proud of because we never, we took it for granted that because we had almost a United Nations worth of people, as far as where they came from, from Iran, Russia, Ukraine, Mexican, United States, Canadian, we don't, we've never kind of filtered and described ourselves as that, but we just thought we had the right people for the right job in the right places. We made up the company based on the places that we worked on. So we never talked about the diversity. Same with the fact of male, female now we talk about f- female and well, that's one thing that I, I I'd say even though we have a pretty good ratio of, of, of women in our company uh, 60% of our administrative and, and executive staff is is, is women 14 uh, percent uh, of our our labor in the on the tools mm-hmm. are women and about 30 percent of our our uh, project managers engineers are women so we have a really good number there as far as the number goes. I want to dig into that and say okay what does that mean why what we have though is a gap of opportunity that we can bring attract more women into our business because there's some good brain power there there's some good unharnessed energy that have never explored the mining business as a career we're looking for always looking for talented people people period in canada and as a mining business, it has a bit of a stigma we need to bring people in our company that's going to attract others to follow. So we need some progressive people. And I'm saying progressive, just people that are good at their job and good at communicating and, and really role models. So I've had to go and bring in uh, somebody like Kaylee and some of our, our top executives to show the ladies in, the, in, in their workforce or in our market that this is a pretty good place to work. And how's that working? Is it uh, is it
0: attracting newer, younger talent? Uh,
1: absolutely. And it's again part of the job. It's like a it's a forced reality. It's like we're not doing it because we're trying to get the numbers up, but we're trying to attract a bigger talent pool. Right. And whether it's nationality but also young people, we just need to get more people into our business. And if we can make our business look like any other business, whether you're a banking business that has natural male female thing in the city here cuz it's easy to get to work and all that stuff. That's what we need to do if we're going to if we're going to be really a long-term Canadian sort of protected business. Do you
0: find there's a misconception about what a career in mining means from I guess either women or just younger generation that maybe haven't considered it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a good stat in the Mining Association of BC has the numbers and but like 29% of the people in the mining business are actually touching the rock. So that leaves some 61% of the people doing something else. And so they need to know what else that is that's important to the food chain of the mining business. Right. And those are leaders, planners, financial people, marketing, communications, technology development, scientists. There's, there's a whole host of things that go on in the mine. The mine's a community. And, and, and you, when you hire on in the mine, like myself, I've, I've, I've done just about every single job in the mine, with one exception, never worked in the smelter in Flin Flon. So I never was a smelter worker, but I could smell the smelter. I understood what went on in there. But, but basically, that's the business. You can actually morph yourself around pretty good and find a comfortable zone, both in terms of your skill set and where you are in your life, whether you're hard charging and as you get older, you're kind of a little bit more delicate. So slow it down a bit. I don't want to be packing powder down on the ground anymore. So, so there's a spot for you. If you're mechanically inclined or you want to become mechanically inclined, go find out. So that's the, the business is a community. It's an awesome community. It's not just for me. It's not just my, my, my work. It's my life. Earning a living is living. And we live it hard. My family's in it from my wife to my sons and now a grandson. He's, he's going to be born here in another week and he's going to be in the mining business. So, <laughs> so but it's our sport. We, we contribute to sports and we we have good fun together. We travel together. We build together and we're successful together. So it's really, really, really rewarding. It's a bit like a coat that you put on and you, you, you just beco- it just becomes you. And uh, otherwise, uh, it's just flat and flaccid if we don't come, come and pump it up a bit. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm, 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 I'm bullish on the business. It, it's, it's done phenomenal for me. It's done phenomenal for our country. Had a hundred year run of really being successful, developing things like the nickel mines and the gold mines. And you talked about the uranium in the north. And, and it took a bit of a, a bit of a pause. And we need to jack it up. And we need to tell the world we're good. We're good. We're damn good. And it's, it's a fun place to be.
0: All right, Jeff. I don't think we're going to find a better yeah. place to leave it than that. Okay. Thank you very much for coming in All today. right.
1: Thanks for having me. This is a fantastic show. I'm to, I'm learning something about this podcast. I, to be honest, I've never watched a podcast. I watched yours yesterday. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is different. So uh, hopefully you get this marketed across the country, across the world, and you'll uh, get that invitation to our next PDAC party, and you'll be like... Uh, you could maybe even spin some beats for us or things like
0: that. <laughs> you might be overestimating <laughs> my skill sets Well, you got well. the headphones, man. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'll work good. on it. I'll work on it. We got a few months, so I'll see what I can do. All right. Okay, Thanks man. again, Jeff. Thank you. Did you enjoy today's podcast? Me too. If you want more like it, head over to resource-insider.com, my website where you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter where you're going to get instant access to all of our new podcasts and videos We're going to keep you up to date on what's going on in the mining industry. And most importantly, we're going to show you where we're investing our own money and what I think are the hottest deals and opportunities in the sector. Thanks for listening.